You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 52, covering Star Trek 2009, with special guest Andy Fleck. Thrusters to full. I don't know why I said that, but we're starting the show now. Um, yep. Hi everyone. Hey, uh, we have a we have a, a new guest for this show. He's been on our other show before, and he's a he's a great patron of both shows. Uh, our pal Brewtown Andy has joined us to do the 2009 Star Trek movie. So Andy, thanks Indeed for joining us. I like this podcast. It's exciting. <laughs> Isn't it just hearing a hearing a Midwesterner trying to do a Scottish accent is a delight. Well, let me tell you, that may I knew have been, it was going to sound terrible, but. Worthwhile. I knew it was going to sound terrible, but I had to go to the joke. I, you, hey, listen, if it worked for James Doohan for 30 years, he made a career out of it. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, this is this is the last of the of the Kirk and crew movies before we move on to next gen. So let's get to it. I'm actually going to do mine first this time because I got something I need to get off my chest here. So uh, let me set the stage for you. It's late spring 2009. Star Trek's been off the air for five years. Good Star Trek has been off the air for ten. Supposedly some hotshot TV producers working on a new movie, but how good could that possibly be? And the ads start. Move over, motherfucker! This is not your father's enterprise! Captain Kirk is fucking extreme now! Orbital skydiving. Some goddamn little kid jumping off a cliff for no apparent reason. This is not Star Trek. This is an abomination of a horrible action movie that completely misses the point. This, to coin a phrase, is fake Star Trek. My friends, whom I feel are somehow betraying me and the whole history of this once great franchise, start seeing the movie and, one after another, start talking about how great it is. What is wrong with these people? All day long on the date of this flick's premiere, my Twitter feed just won't shut up about how much they enjoyed it. Alright, well I guess I should go check it out, see how bad it is before I start complaining. What the hell, it can't be worse than Enterprise, right? What happened next? Well, you all know this part. This is where my whole renewed interest in Trek came from, resulting in the podcast to which you are now listening. I adored this movie. It got everything right and made lots of things even better. It's not only my favorite Star Trek movie, but quite possibly my favorite movie, period. I was so utterly, entirely wrong. As a result, ever since, I've continued the tradition of referring to it as fake Star Trek, as an ironic reminder to myself and to the world that I was an asshole who jumped to the wrong conclusion. Well, it's it's wonderful that you could admit that, that you, you could admit that to us, Al. Well, as the great Jack Handy said, it takes a big man to admit that he's wrong, but it takes a bigger man to laugh at that man. And I am that bigger man. <laughs> <laughs> now that's just we we always call it fake Star Trek, and I, well, why? What? So we need the secret origin of that. So there you go. That, that that is where that came from. It's not because I don't like it. It's because I was an asshole. <laughs> All right, Andy, what do you got? Alrighty. Once. There was a man named Nero. He was an honest man, trained in the time-honored tradition of interstellar mining. Nero led a group of five uh, other fine honest men as captain of a mining ship named the Narada. One day, while Nero and his crew were away from their homes and families, a star near to their home planet of Ramus went supernova and threatened to destroy the planet. The United Federation of Planets, usually an enemy of Nero's people, promised to save their planet and their families. They lied. The Federation's envoy, a Vulcan by the name of Spock, failed to arrive in time to stop the supernova from enveloping and destroying Romulus. That the Federation would send one of the Romulans' ancient enemies with the potential to save Romulus was, if not a slap in the face, but an obvious sign the Federation was conspiring to let the Romulans be destroyed. While Spock set about using the Federation's countermeasure to the supernova woefully too late, Nero and his crew raced to meet him to exact their revenge. However, the Federation's countermeasure was nothing but a trap, and the Narada was sucked into a black hole, where they were met by a Federation warship on the other side. Nero smartly crippled the warship and captured its captain uh, to determine the location of Ambassador Spock. But this Federation trap was more insidious than Nero originally realized, as the Narada had been transported 154 years into the past. After disposing the warship's captain, Nero ordered the warship destroyed, but... It must have been crewed by terrorists and murderers, as its last action was to crash into the Narada, crippling it, thereby allowing the crew to be captured by Klingons. They then spent the next 25 years in a Klingon prison planet, waiting for the day when Ambassador Spock would fall through the black hole. When the appropriate time came, Nero and his crew left Ruapente with only minor difficulty for a ship as powerful as the Narada. 
They returned to the location of the black hole just in time to capture Spock and dump him on Hoth. I, I, I mean, Delta Vega to bear witness to Nero performing some minor reconstruction on Vulcan. <laughs> while Nerada well, the was busy with their project, uh, six Federation warships showed up and were swatted away like gnats. When a seventh arrived moments later, Nero quickly noticed it was the ship that would be famously carrying the Spock of the present time. Knowing he needed to buy himself some time so young Spock could see the finished reconstruction, Nero used his well-honed method of politely introducing himself and requesting the warship captain's presence on board the Narada to negotiate a ceasefire. Once the captain arrived, Nero introduced him to a new alien friend to keep him busy while the Narada finished the remodeling project and headed off to Earth to spruce that place up a bit. While the crew of the Narada was hard at work on Earth, the current period Spock illegally boarded the Narada and stole that ship that Nero had politely received from the Spock of the future. Like anyone who had been the victim of a crime, Nero chased after Spock and ordered his crew to fire a reasonable amount of torpedoes at Spock's ship. <laughs> this turned out to be another Federation trap as the Enterprise appeared out of nowhere and caused a black hole to open in the middle of the Narada. The Enterprise then took advantage of the ship's weakened state and opened fire, destroying it and everyone on board. As his ship disintegrated around him, Nero was left with one thought. I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those meddling kids. <laughs> Continuing the fine tradition of taking the perspective of uh, maybe someone that, that uh, wasn't highlighted in the movie. Uh, I noticed you, you, you kind of glossed over a few things that made me tear up in the actual movie and didn't sound eh. so sad from the other side now. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I realized... Uh, Nero's the real, the, the, the real victim. Listen, Come on. Nero rhymes with hero, right? I mean... Yeah. What right. more evidence do you need? I, I was tempted to go uh, the uh, the route of uh, famous Ain't Cool News movie reviewer Neil Cumston to review this. Uh, just <laughs> to sorry, provide a contrast. To, what's that? What's his last name? Isn't it Neil Cumston, I thought? I don't remember. Is it I don't remember. But the point was the, the, his outlandish and crazy reviews, mm -hmm. uh, mostly of Jason Statham movies. Uh, just to provide the uh, nice backdrop for what uh, you thought the movie was going to be, Al. Well. But it, I had to hold up the tradition. You, you really have to admit that the trailers did present a very misleading picture. They did indeed. It, but I was wrong about Fight Club and I was wrong about this as well. Um, all right, Matt, what do you got? All right. So on a routine mission, the USS Kelvin is attacked by a giant squid ship coming out of a black hole. The Kelvin is destroyed, and George Kirk is killed, saving his crew. A few decks below, his son James Tiberius is born. Twenty-some-odd years later, Jim is a cadet at Starfleet Academy, finally making something of his life, and the first person to ever pass the Kobayashi Maru exam. Jim is facing the threat of expulsion when events very much like those of his birth take place near Vulcan, and the entirety of Starfleet Academy is sent to rescue it. Thanks to the help of his best friend Bones, Jim is able to board the Enterprise despite the protests of his arch-nemesis Spock. They arrive at Vulcan. They arrive at Vulcan in time to find Starfleet massacred by evil Romulan and bitchin' tribal tattoo enthusiast Nero and his squid ship. Nero demands the Enterprise's captain, Christopher Pike, beam over, and Pike does so because he has no better ideas. He leaves Spock in charge and puts Kirk in, his, in as commander because, actually, I have no idea why that happened. Anyway, Pike is captured and Vulcan is destroyed, leaving me to spend the next hour of the movie contemplating the repercussions that this will have on the Star Trek universe because that is what I do. Spock, failing to save both his planet and his mom, the, the robot from Alien Resurrection, is pissed off and dumps Kirk on the ice planet of Hoth because, actually, I'm unclear on why that happens, too. Anyway, on Hoth, Kirk is attacked by the Cloverfield monster because J.J. Abrams has a one-track mind. Then he runs into Leonard Nimoy playing Spock from the future. Future Spock, or Spock Prime, as I am delighted that he is called in the movie's credits, <laughs> explains how Nero was his friend until Spock failed to stop the destruction of Romulan, uh, Romulus. Then they both went back in time. Spock insists that Kirk uh, rejoin the Enterprise and help save the Earth from Nero. Kirk meets up with Scotty at a new Palumpa, and they return to the Enterprise. On the Enterprise, Kirk pisses Spock off some more and then relieves him of duty. This puts Kirk in command of the Enterprise because, uh, huh. Anyway, they catch up with Nero at Earth and then destroy his ship enough that everything works out okay. Afterwards, fresh Academy graduate Kirk is put in charge of the Starfleet's flagship because, uh, hmm. All right, a few points there. First of all, you did manage to point out pretty much all the nitpicks that I had, although I pretty much was able to forgive them all because they seem to serve some higher purpose. <laughs> Second of all, I would watch anything that involved the phrase, with the help of his best friend, Bones. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, you know why. 
<laughs> and third, I'm very, very concerned with your status as as my co-host of two different shows. That your go-to Winona Ryder reference is the robot from Alien Resurrection. I love Alien Resurrection. What can <laughs> yeah, I tell but you, you are aware that Winona Ryder has a considerable body of work. Oh, I'm sure. You're sure, but you don't know. No. Uh, <laughs> Look, ma- many people don't know this because I don't have a podcast about it, but I'm also a very big Aliens fan. Well, of course, that's fine. But uh, would not have guessed. You know, there's there's Heather's, there's Beetlejuice. Never mind, never mind. We we need to stay focused here. <laughs> um. So yeah, I love this movie. It's my favorite. It's I I really. Spend a lot of time thinking about how we could possibly do an hour of basically us just, uh, you know, with hearts coming out of our heads. Yeah. (laughs) Like those little cartoon bloop bloop hearts. You know, I Mm -hmm. I don't I don't know how to I don't know how to critically talk about this movie. I can't really make fun of it too much because I just there's so many ways it could have gone wrong. There's so many things they could have fucked up. There was so much on the line and they got it right. We were so sure it would be terrible. And in our defense, like, we had every reason to believe that it would be. Well, like I said, the ads were not great. But even putting that aside, there was not a lot of great Star Trek for a long time. No. And hearing that they were going back, I mean, I don't know how into the, uh, like, the, the behind-the-scenes stuff, all the rumors and crap you guys are. But uh, for a long time, they're through, like, through the 90s, there was talk of doing a Starfleet Academy movie. Like, yep. the Young Kirk Chronicles. And that always sounded like a terrible idea to me. Yeah, it just that sounds terrible. Well, yeah, exactly, but that's effectively what this is. Well, this is a story of how everyone met and became friends and went Mm. from the academy to how we know them now. Yeah, but it's awesome. Yeah. Although I am kind of entertained by the idea of you know getting to watch Jim Kirk going to like frat parties. Well, he totally would be a frat guy, and that's that's one of the things this movie did really well is totally crystallizing our image of Kirk, because we mostly see him as an old man, I realized. Like, yeah. We see him through the series, but when he becomes a fleshed-out, three-dimensional character, we mostly know him as an old man whose youth is behind him and all that. So it's cool mm-hmm. to see this fresh take on his young days, and he definitely would have been sort of a douchey frat guy. Yeah. Like, that's something... But, I mean, they also play up how, like, he's really, like, he's a smart guy. He's really good at everything he does. He's also just kind of a douche. Well, and that's Captain Pike says, what is it? The, the only genius level repeat offender in the Midwest. Like that's, that's him right there. Like he gets in a lot of trouble, but he's also fucking brilliant. Mm -hmm. It's like, what if the, uh, what if the twins from the social network got the captain of starship? Exactly. Except those guys aren't that smart because they got outsmarted by, um, fake Michael Sarah. So, you know, (laughs) Not even outsmarted by real Michael. Yeah, Sarah. exactly. Come on. That other guy, Michael Sarah, in an Afro wig. That's not even. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I feel like we need to address the lens flare thing just to get it out of the way because that's the it first happened. thing everyone mentions. Mm-hmm. There sure sure were a lot of lens flares in this movie. I'm okay with that because Abrams has a justification for that. It's just like it's the future. I want everything to be shiny. I think there were times that it didn't need to be there, like in the bar. Look, well, that is a very up. futuristic bar, okay, that still serves Budweiser. <laughs> they call it Budweiser Classic. I mean, it's like Coke Classic. Presumably, <laughs> at some point in the future, there's a new Bud that drives everyone nuts, and they have to go back to Bud Classic to uh, to calm everyone down. See, I would think that anything would be better than Budweiser. You would think. Even yeah. a shitty alternative. But no, I think, the, I think the lens flares, like, on the bridge of the Enterprise made sense, and in space kind of made sense. But, like, when you're in a... When you're in an in- internal set, eh, I think you're mm-hmm. I think you're stretching the limits there. But on the other hand, they just didn't bother me. No, weren't the lens flares like inside Nero's ship too? Even <laughs> yeah, the, the like, dark, dingy, damp mining ship well, that had no light sources. Yeah, well, they reflected off the giant puddles of water that he had in his <laughs> ship for some reason. Because <laughs> that's a good way to run a starship. <laughs> I don't know. Like we were we were joking about that, and it it is silly. But on the other hand. We get the the puddles of water in the scene where he's torturing Pike, and it yeah. just it feels right there. It feels like we're in the bowels of the ship. We're in the dingy part where people aren't supposed to be, and I'm now I'm going to torture you. Like that just seems like a very standard movie thing to me. But I, on the other hand, why are there puddles of water in your spaceship? Right. 
But what you don't see is just off camera is the, you know, uh, the Narada has gone X days without an accident sign that's never gotten above three. <laughs> I see, totally I, buy that. I picture just off camera, there's there's one of those, you know, bald, tattooed Romulans in his trench coat, like with a, with a shop vac. <laughs> Damn it, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. Damn it. <sighs> exactly. I tried to tell Nero about the leak down here. He doesn't care. No, and then he, I figured he'd never bring anyone down here, but oh, great. Now he's got to torture a guy. Now i got to get it all cleaned up. And every time I try to tell him anything, he just introduces himself to me. <laughs> I know who you are, boss. Hi, crewman. I'm Nero. <laughs> all right. Let's, uh... It's a real personal touch to how he commands his shit. <laughs> well, everyone's, everyone's a different kind of leader, you know? I mean, that's... Uh... And what's your name? Uh-huh. Hi, I'm Nero. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be working with you. Um, okay, so there, there is that beginning scene, which I alluded to a minute ago, that uh, all of us, pretty much everyone except uh, my dead soul inside wife, but everyone else I've ever met kind of tears up at that, that, that opening yeah. bit. Um, well, like they say, opposites attract. Uh, that, that apparently is true. So I guess she's Paula Abdul and I'm MC Scat Cat, or is it the other way around? That just got That's weird. the most romantic thing I've ever heard you say, Al. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if I were human, no, never mind. <laughs> no, but that, there's the opening bit where, you know, the, the, the Kelvin is destroyed and, and young Jimmy Kirk is born. And there's just that, that bit between um, the guy who's going to go on to play Thor and that chick who apparently is in some TV show or something. I don't know. Well, mm. yeah. Andy, help um, me out. You're, you're, you got your finger on the pulse of pop culture in a way that Matt and I don't. It's, so. it's, it's Dr. Cameron from House. And well. what is the first weird cameo in this movie? I don't know that I'd call that a cameo because, I, well, maybe. Well, okay, but you know, but you've got you've got uh, Jennifer Morrison as Jim's mom. You've mm-hmm. got Winona Ryder as Spock's mom. You've mm-hmm. got Tyler Perry as uh, the president of the of the Starfleet or something. I don't know what he he's, is exactly. I think he's an admiral. They all have little nameplates on their uh, on their uh, podiums. Okay, and and then um, the, the 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 Orion girl is Rachel Nichols. Who um, played Scarlet in the G.I. Joe movie. I don't know what else she's been in, but I know that. Right. So it, you know, it, it's just weird that they've like, if they took this, Hey, we're just going to cast Pete. We're going to cast some like people you've seen before in this thing. Like when they went past like your, the regular cast and even went into like, Hey, uh, let's go get this guy for this three line part. But see, I think that's the advantage of being a long established thing like Star Trek, where you got a whole generation, maybe two generations now of people who grew up on it, who love it. There's no longer the nerd stigma, and everyone wants to be part of it. That's yeah. true. If you're if you're an established actor who's got better things to do, but you get two lines in the new Star Trek movie, fucking take it, you know? That's yeah. true. I mean, that's that's the way I see it. Plus, Abrams, everything I've seen of him, he seems very manic and excited and enthusiastic. And if he asks you, he just seems like the kind of guy that you don't want to say no to because he's so happy. You know, he's so... Yeah, well, there's no way this experience is going to go poorly. And he will turn on you in like a second. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it could be because all the all I've seen is documentary footage, which is obviously edited to make him look good. So you're, you might be right. <laughs> no, I just I get the feeling he's very, I you know, not, not that I'm anywhere near his his level of talent, but I I see a little of me in there. The 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 energy when he gets going, like this sentence here that I haven't put a period on yet, you know, like that kind of a guy. I I I just I like his enthusiasm and his eye for detail and his you know like. He's clearly a fan, and he's really but he's clearly into not it. though. How do like, you wasn't that wasn't that a big deal that like he had not seen or really understood Star Trek at all when they hired him? No, he was more of a Star Wars fan. He said. I actually don't know. I, I hadn't read that. I've I've heard that before with other things, but I hadn't I hadn't specifically heard that here. I mean, clearly after he got the job, he went and did his research, like uh, Nick Meyer. But well, uh, yeah, all, all I know is that the movie is clearly made with love. Maybe it's the screenwriters who were the fans, and he just you know, stuck with what they put in. Mm-hmm. That, well, I don't even think it's just a screenwriter's thing. The The love for classic Trek is evident throughout this. Film. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's a lot of visual touches that wouldn't have been the in the sound effect. Right? Yeah, that's true. The background stuff. Like there's, there's all sorts of callbacks just in the background. Well, here's, here's, here's a thought about that. Okay. Maybe he had never seen Star Trek. Maybe he wasn't into it, but you and I had not seen much of Star Trek before we started this endeavor. That is a fair. That is fair. Yeah, we admitted that in our first episode. We've seen the highlights. We've seen the best episodes. We've seen the movies, but we really weren't deeply familiar. But we've immersed ourselves in this last year, and we're very familiar and comfortable, and we're we're huge fans now. So I mean, mm-hmm. it's conceivable that in a short period of time, you could you know 
Like we did this for a weekly podcast, but he could do it in a couple weeks. Yeah. And it, it's easy to ramp up and become a fan pretty quickly is what I'm saying. Oh, sure. Especially when you're getting paid millions of dollars. To- <laughs> well, yes. I don't know. I think bringing that Star Wars sensibility to it, like the, 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 the kinetic, you know, the, the, the action scenes is kind of like what I was saying about six only better where every scene leads into the next one. There's no moment where you stop and slow down. Everything's just fucking go, go, go. And it, really works yeah and it doesn't feel like a brainless action movie because there's some thought and story behind it but this movie does not let up ever no and and it is always stuff that's if it's not paying off something that was set up it's setting up something else yes well this i've said this before this might not be the best movie ever i mean i think it is but in in (laughs) sort of objective screenplay terms but in terms of basic screenplay 101, there's so much set it up and pay it off. There's so much foreshadowing and, and basic character arc. And as a, as a screenplay, you know, as a, as a basic example of a first-year film student, not that this is written at that level, but, I mean, if you're showing a first-year film student how to write a movie, this is a good place to start because everything is there. Yeah. And the, the, there's that economy of writing like Back to the Future had where – Every line, like you say, either sets something up or pays something off. Everything feeds into something else, and it's it's even when it's clear, even when it's clearly exposition, it's something that character A has to say to character B because otherwise they're not getting anywhere. Exactly, and a lot of times when the exposition is delivered, it's delivered in a way that's interesting to us. We were commenting on there's a there's a bit where Spock Prime has to explain something to to Kirk, and rather than just telling him, he does a mind melt, so we get a visually interesting, you know. Like, we get a little slideshow while he's talking, which is nice. Mm-hmm. No, visually and sonically with, the, like, the echoes that it starts yeah. with, too. No, it, it gives you that very sort of ethereal inside-the-mind feel, which is great. Was waiting for me. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I was talking about the, that opening scene where we all get yes. a little... Um, yeah. The one that I'm convinced is... Uh, the one that, the scene that makes me think something's wrong with my PlayStation and uh, it constantly emits dust whenever that scene comes up. That, that oh, must totally. be what it is. Or like that, I, that's got to be it. Or I have the movie on while I'm cooking and I'm cutting onions. Mm-hmm. That, just constantly cutting onions. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I make a lot of onion-based food. That's just. Oh, you do like, love onions. I know I, that much. I clearly do, especially while I watch this movie. It's a strange coincidence. Mm-hmm. Ex- and it explains why you wear one on your belt, even though when it's not the style at the time. <laughs> no, but listen, I've been doing this for dickety two years. You can't stop doing this just to. <laughs> um. No, it's the the remarkable thing is. And we, we've all we've all said this is the part that really chokes us all up is when they're talking to each other right before uh, George kicks it, and they're not on the same set. It probably wasn't even shot at the same time, but the two of them sell it so well, cutting back and forth between them. It's just yeah. fucking beautiful. But what I think really helps is that they uh, they actually cut the uh, live audio, for lack of a better phrase. Um, the, the like uh, it like the audio of what you're seeing do- drops out and Michael Giacchino's score kicks in. Yeah, and then it drops out again, and then it's like they go back to the conversation right as uh, as Baby Jim starts crying. Yeah, I see what you mean. That that definitely the the score and the sound design in in total is great. I love the score and I love there's it's not consistent, but that's okay. But there's a lot more use of silence in space, which I like. Mm-hmm. That's yes. one of the things Battlestar Galactica did better than Star Trek, I thought, which is when you're out in space, there's no sound. And sometimes yeah, yeah. they violate that because you want a cool sound of the ship groaning or going to warp or whatever. But for the most part, when there's all this big stuff happening, you get that nice counterpoint of cutting out to POV of space and nothing, like no sound. That's great. Yeah. And it definitely, like you say, builds the emotion of that particular scene. Um and, and- but but and going back to the scene, uh, you know, like speaking from my own personal experience to like apply it to what mm-hmm. George Kirk is going through, like he, he he's already like decided like a long time ago he's doing the right thing as a Starfleet officer by right. committing suicide essentially. Right. And his concern is that he his his he not he he uh, stem his wife's instant opinion which is to pay tribute to him by naming the kid after his dad right and his immediate reaction is no that's terrible don't do that to my son <laughs> I, <laughs> love, I really like his read on that too i don't know that always gives me because 
I'm already starting to get a little emotional, and then there's a little laugh there, and it yeah. just hits me just the right way. We're like, Tiberius? No, that's the worst. And it's like, I really like that line. I don't know why. Yep. And I used to hate, I really used to hate that, and, you know, when we see little Jimmy, that he says, I'm James Tiberius Kirk. I thought that was kind of like, uh, really? Like, you've seen one episode of Star Trek, you know what his middle name is? Shut up. But now I realize it was kind of a payoff because they set yeah. up what his middle name was in that in that scene. So, so yeah, um, it's interesting the the choices they made to cut this movie because originally it was going to open with the birth of Spock. We were going to sort of chronologically follow those two guys' lives until you know they meet. And I'm yeah. glad they went with what they went with because I think it's a much more powerful opening. It, like, and we also talk about the uh, about uh, Kirk and his stepdad. Yeah. Um. No, there's that great deleted scene. steals the car. Yeah. No, the whole thing is when he steals the car, it's because it's his natural dad's car who died, and the stepdad just wants to sell it. And he's like, Mm. fuck you, I'm taking it. Yeah. No, but it, like, those scenes are good, but, like, they they really would have slowed the movie down. No, you made the point that it's, you you said dynamic. That is definitely the right word. Mm. Like I said, it keeps everything moving. Yeah. You go from that badass explosion, you know, suicide mission to save your newborn son right to... You know, ten years later, the kid, you know, racing down the street. That's there's plastic sabotage. Yeah, I gotta think that was a dig at Shatner. Oh yeah, <laughs> I gotta think someone's heard that outtake where he can't pronounce the word sabotage correctly and just said, "Oh, this would be hilarious." <laughs> well, he's telling all y'all it's a sabotage. <laughs> well, you know, four thousand years ago on the planet Earth, uh, <laughs> workers who were dissatisfied uh, tossed their wooden <laughs> shoes called sabo. Um, you know what? Shut up, Valeris. I as a I, <laughs> you don't I, exist anymore. I've never liked contemporary music in Star Trek ever. I hated the no. use of uh, what was it, Steppenwolf in uh, yep. First Contact. And it, I'm very conflicted in this movie because I I do feel that way. But then I'm a huge Beastie Boys fan, so it's like, well, I don't know. What I am I to do? Yeah, I guess this clearly this works in the uh, the the Futurama uh, the the Futurama timeline. How do you mean? Because the Beastie Boys are up to seven albums in the year 3000. <laughs> that was a thousand years ago. Now we get seven. <laughs> the sad thing is their seventh album dropped recently, so uh, that's it until the year 3000. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, yeah, okay. I'm, I guess we can go chronologically because I always sort of jump around and there's so much to talk about in this movie. I think just sort of going through, you know, the movie in order is the best way to go here. Um that cop that pulls Kirk over, uh, what, what's the deal there? That weird robot. the mask? Yeah, like, citizen. Is that a, is it a robot? Is it a, what the apparently, hell? Apparently, apparently, uh, uh, apparently Kirk lives in Meg City. <laughs> Shouldn't Bones be there then? That's a, that's a Dread reference, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he's playing, he's playing Judge Dread now. Yeah, not oh, yet. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and, and then there's that canyon that he almost that the car falls in. Really, in Iowa? Oh yeah, the giant you know the giant uh, gaping holes of Iowa. Well, I mean, Andy, you you live in a state that's Iowa adjacent. Is there anything like that there? Um, well, we have uh, up north in Wisconsin, we have a lot more uh, dynamic um, landscapes, but that's because of glaciers. Big ass lakes. Well, it not, it's it's more because the glaciers like screwed everything up, and so then that's what happened. But it, so everything else is south of here because the glaciers stopped at some point, mm-hmm. and that, so then you get everything else is just cornfields, which is what Iowa is. Where the high, when I when I drove out here from from the east coast, I I remember Iowa being quite flat. Yeah, the it, the, the highlight of Iowa's uh, skyline, quote unquote, <laughs> is a baseball field in the middle of a cornfield. Oh, so. Right. So actually, I'm I'm more concerned about the fact not so much the canyon, but why is Iowa in the desert now? Yeah, I don't know. Well, they had to clear everything out so they could put in the uh, the starship uh, where they now build the Enterprise that yes they never did before. Although here's a thought: the the, the World War Three still happened. It's possible oh, that, that, yeah. that got bombed Pretty into cool. a desert, and that's a big bomb crater that he almost fell into. Thanks for nothing, Khan. I don't know. That's the eugenics wars. That's different from World War Three. Two different wars. It still happened. Well, it did happen. I saw it happen. <laughs> I seen him. Don't tell me it didn't happen. <laughs> okay, so then we move on to Spock, uh, young Spock in the the Vulcan learning pits. Mm-hmm. 
which again, great sort of multiple callbacks there. There's a there's a reference to the Star Trek four when he's retraining his mind, you know, the car act, that thing. And the um what's that? How do you feel? Yeah, exactly. I gotta wonder if, if he gets asked that and none of the other kids do. <laughs> because the the terminal knows that he's half human and, and is giving him human Ooh. curricula. Yeah. Uh, uh Professor so, young young Spock did not fall for the how do you feel question again today. For the oh, we'll get in a row. <laughs> Damn it. No, but it's a callback to that, and it's a callback to that filmation scene that I used as my quote back when we were doing the uh, the animated series, which was, uh, you know, Earther, why don't you go back to Earth? That terrible, like they they made that work. The racist taunts of the, the Vulcan yep. children, which I loved. They just they just applied cold calculated logic, and what would cold calculated logical insults sound like? Yeah, something like from a from a ten year old. Like we all yep. remember that. Oh, totally. And just just take out the emotional part of it and make them a little more cruel. I assume you prepared. My, I assume you prepared new insults today. Yeah, it was. We all had a real tough time picking quotes from this movie because there's so many great ones. But uh, oh yeah, my that, favorite one in my favorite one in, in in this stretch is perhaps a physical stimuli is necessary. Shove. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I, know why, but it's so great. Just like the scientist like yeah. language to yeah. it. And then just the completely casual shove just to see what would happen. <laughs> well, you know, they're in school. They're, they're you know, they're scientists, obviously. The fact that the kid, like, says the line would, to, like, like, like uh, justify why he's doing it as yep. opposed to just the shove you see in every single other school movie ever. Right. right. Yep. yep. I, I really like the one kid who says, look, it has human eyes. It looks sad. <laughs> it's a good line, but like of the three kids, that kid is the best deadpan cruel. Like he yep. just completely sells it for me. Um. So yeah, we they do a great job of of setting up like Spock's whole thing and 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 his parents and all that. Somebody pointed out not long after this movie came out, there was a really great essay, and if I can find it, I'll link to it. But I might not be able to dig this up. It was two years ago, and I don't remember who wrote it or anything. That. This movie pulls a trick on you, which is the arc, the, the straight-up character arc, is not Kirk. Kirk has no arc. Kirk starts out thinking that he is the best and he is right and everyone should fall in line, and he ends the movie that way. There's no change yep. there. The movie Spock, just proves that that's true. Yeah, exactly. Spock is the one with the arc, which is kind of a little bit of sleight of hand, because you think this is the story of Kirk and, and becoming a hero and all that. Eh, this is the story of how everyone stepped out of the way to let Kirk be a hero, but he didn't really change. No. But Spock actually goes through some emotional growth and some personal changes and so forth. And uh, and it's interesting to see that starting here. And when you watch it with that in mind, it, it really plays out interestingly because he learns a lot about himself and about, you know, blah 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 I Actually, I was thinking the other day, Kirk in this movie is a very Mary Sue character. Just very – everyone gives him everything. Everyone thinks he's really great. Yeah, that's true. That's a valid point. You can probably hear the screaming children outside my, my window, by the way. I'm trying to ignore it, but it's very difficult to. I was wondering if that's what that was. Yeah, that is haven't what that moved, is. Haven't it's you moved so away from screaming children yet? No, I'm pleased to announce this is the final podcast I will be recording in this location. I am currently building a new recording studio that will have none of those sounds in it. So, uh, so theoretically, I, by I, the end of this episode, a, a child will have crashed a crane through your wall. Quite possibly. He might be screaming for me to get out of the way. I have headphones on, and I'm trying to focus on what we're talking about. Uh, speaking of cruel children. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I like... There's a lot of subtle setting up things for people who are new to Star Trek. Particularly the idea that Vulcans are not emotionless. That they are actually no. quite passionate and have to work extra hard to control it. Mm-hmm. That's a point I don't think the original series got across all the time. They mentioned it occasionally, but it, it, they also ignored it just as much as they said it. Well, yes. Sometimes they kind of painted the picture that Spock just physiologically was incapable of emotion. I, but then, I, I also feel like there's been a recent decision to show Vulcans as more flawed. Like... The original series, and also a lot in TNG whenever they showed up, they were very much sort of viewed as like, these are like the perfect guys of the Federation. Well, you know, for they're Spock, smarter than us, they're better than us. For Spock, it made sense in the original series, where, mm. you know, he comes from this race of, of people who are better than you, but he also has to learn some humility. Yeah. But then when you when you 
flesh it out to the whole race, you have to you have to have more than that. Yeah, well, and you know this, and uh, it also happened a lot in Enterprise badly because it's Enterprise. But I, like, didn't, I didn't like the whole vibe like, of them being the the overseers of of us as children. But that's that's a whole yeah. other issue. No, but I do like the idea of Vulcans being very arrogant. Yeah. No, that makes Just sense. Like, well, uh, well, logically, of course we're better than you. Look at us. No, and one of the little things about Enterprise that I did like, which you won't hear me say that very often, <laughs> um, <laughs> was they kept commenting on the smell. I kind of liked that. When Vulcans had to serve with humans, they're like, ugh. <laughs> because that, that sort of underscores the idea that, that we're almost like animals to them. <laughs> like, how do, you, how do you survive on a ship full of dogs? God, ugh. <laughs> Um, it just lends a creepy layer to Sarek's entire life. <laughs> yeah, it does. Well, yeah. I like this. Especially when, especially when you know, he, he lies to Spock as a kid saying, well, it was the logical decision. I'm the ambassador. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. And then later on, he's like, nope, I'm totally into humans, dude. Yeah, remember when I said no. it was logical? No, I love her. No, sorry. Daddy has Earth fever. Yeah. Which is, hey, we got to repopulate the species, but uh, there ain't much of us left, so I'm going back to Earth. No. Yeah, um, but yeah, now drink Sarek walking around San Francisco in like this like seventies like <laughs> studio six, studio uh, fifty four suit. And... <laughs> I can totally see that. So disco so, like, Saturday Night Fever, and he's walking in. You know, yep, it's that Bee Gees music, except delivered by some deadpan Vulcan. Well, you can tell by the well, way. Well, you I can tell by walk. the way I walk. Yeah. Um, so then we we sort of cut from him being a kid to him being a grown up and. Uh, there's that great bit in front of the Vulcan Science Academy where they basically say, despite your racial handicap, <laughs> we're going to let you, uh, I can't, you know, we can't believe that even with that, uh, that detrimental red blood in you, you managed to, to make it. But good for you. I and, was so close then, to making that my quote. The, uh, with live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. Well, there's, if you look at the screenplay, I've actually seen a copy of it, is, and it's floating around the internet. It's not like J.J. Abrams handed it to me or something. Um, there you go, Al. I heard you have a podcast. Yeah, hey, thanks, man. Um, now let's go be manic together. Um, <laughs> no, there's a, there's a, it actually, the stage directions say, um, live long and prosper, and the parentheses are something like, to rhyme with, go fuck yourself. <laughs> and it totally comes off that way, which is, yep. which is, I've never heard the line used that way before. It was great. No, actually, Spock in this movie is incredibly passionate. Like, he's barely not. Oh, yeah. He doesn't get a lot of time to just be cold, dispassionate Spock, which is I'm fine with yeah, that. The story he, calls. He for doesn't it. like. He doesn't deal with the decision from the the science council well. Yeah. He uh, there's a lot of tries to anger. tries to kill his schoolmates and Jim later on, uh, and on top of all of that, he's uh, well, I guess not actually because it's not seven years, but he's completely emotionally caught up with one of his students oh, yeah. at the academy. Well, and see, that was great because Uhura. I, this is a good good segue into that. First of all, as I put in my notes, new Hura kicks the ass of old Hura. Like she is so great. She well, just, hold on, hold on. You haven't seen new Hura's fan dance yet. If she does it now and not in fifty years, I will love it. Yes, <laughs> because I I was I was trying to do a little build up here that she's amazing and also incidentally hot. But I certainly yeah. don't want to take away from the fact that she's. And unbelievably is hot. Goddamn fucking gorgeous. Not that Nichelle Nichols wasn't anything to look at back in the day, because she certainly was. Mm-hmm. But this is a different kind of hot. This is a tall, leggy, just, oh, man. Anyway. <laughs> but she's also, just in the first five minutes, she's more capable and strong and everything than, Uhura, than old Uhura ever was. Yep. Like, she rebuffs Kirk's advances when she gets on the Enterprise. She Quite can, easily at that. Yeah. Quite easily. There's and, none of this like, oh, Captain Kirk. Yeah, no, never fluttering her eyelashes over. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's still a bit of a flirty vibe there. She's clearly saying, leave me alone, but she's not being a jerk. Yeah, she no. she accuses him of uh, of being a sheep fucker. And then when he <laughs> deflects it, she's actually impressed with how witty he is. Yeah. And by yeah. the way, his deflection is, well, I have fucked a sheep occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> she's, I, I thought you were a that only slept with farm animals. He said, well, not only. <laughs> no, and that's the thing about Chris Pine. He sells a lot. Like Shatner never really pulled off charming. What he pulled no. off was smug. I'm in charge, so you're going to have sex with me, and that's just how it is. Yep. But Chris Pine, because he's young, because he's not in charge yet, he has to work for it. 
you get that angle of Kirk, which is, you know, he's working for it. It's like Chris Pine kind of based his, uh, his, his, his version of Kirk on the, uh, the, the picture that's floating around the internet. I can't hear you over the sound of how awesome I am. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's, that's a cornerstone of his character. He's great and he knows he's great. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where the swagger and the confidence comes from, and it's great to see that he has it at at the very youngest point that we ever see him, and it never like he never had to grow that confidence. It was always just there. I really like that. Um, but yeah, Uhura, the way she was was portrayed was amazing. The way she was written, the way she was acted, was fantastic. And then but making she's, her, she's actually as just a cadet, she's a better. Uh, communications officer than the dope they have on board the Enterprise. Yeah, they have to relieve some lieutenant because well, she's a better linguist. Well, he can't tell the difference this, this... between Vulcan and Romulan, and she's like, well, there's three dialects of Romulan, and I know all of them. Yep. Yeah. And that's the thing, one of the things I watched for when we made our way back through the series and the movies was seeing if there was ever once a mention of Uhura being a linguist. There never was. I love that take on her, that that, that justifies her existence more than just being a phone operator. There should mm-hmm. be a linguist because you're meeting different aliens and the universal translator. Okay, there's universal in the name, but really, it's not going to be 100%. You need someone who knows no. how Especially to... Especially when you're seeking out new life. Right, exactly. And there are certain kinds of people, I mean, they exist now. People who, when we discover some ancient language we never heard of before or a tribe that speaks a new way, you know, that, that sort of understands the way humans build language and speech. and the, Like, that's a whole thing. Sure. And having someone who can think like that on your ship is very valuable when you're going out and meeting new life. And it's great to see her have a purpose now. And that was that was the thing. The first time I walked out of this movie, apart from just being so, you know, the sigh of relief, was everyone got something to do. Yeah. All the, all That's the, the biggest thing that uh, this movie has going for it is just everyone. Yeah. And it's not even just something to do, but like something, the entire... Some key part of the story. Yeah. But, no, no, no. It's not. It's not just that's. It's not just something to do. But if someone doesn't do their something to do at the right moment, the whole thing goes completely to hell. Right. The the plot like, hinges at several points on Sulu doing his job, Chekhov doing his job, Uhura doing her job. Like everyone is essential to the effort going forward, and not just the person who happens to be in that chair. I just realized something. What's that? Um, the only the only person. On that ship, who is supposed to be what they're doing? What they're doing is Chekhov. Yeah, that's true. Everyone else okay. sort of fell, in, inherited their yeah. position because someone died or got sick or whatever. Someone died or couldn't do their job. Yeah, got lungworm. Or had warm. lungworm. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's absolutely right. Which I think is especially hilarious since Chekhov didn't even show up till year two. Well, okay. I suppose now would be as good a time as any to address the Chekhov issue, which is, oh my god, I loved him, and I can't believe I'm saying that. He's just really good in this. He's, he's again, written well, performed well, but he's got that enthusiasm. And Andy pointed this out. I didn't, it didn't occur to me until we just did our, our watch just now that he's the boy genius character. I never really thought mm-hmm. of it like that. But he's Wesley Crusher, only yes, he doesn't annoy me. <laughs> and I, I don't know. Like I said, it's not, a, it's not that I have a guy crush on him. Listen, I have guy crushes on half the guys in this movie. I'll admit that. But sure. it's, it's more that I think he's adorable. Yeah, you just want to pat him on the head and say, "Good work, Pavel." Yeah, he just and he's got a real Russian accent. The the actor apparently his family is Russian. He's not. He's he was born here, mm-hmm. but his family's Russian, and he studied it and did a real accent. So that helps. But he he just he has he's got a weird energy too that I love. There's that bit where he's trying to save Kirk and Sulu falling from uh, yeah. from orbit. And he's like, "I can do that! I can do that!" And it's just like. Aww. Where he's just running down the hallway, yeah. frantically yeah, trying him, to tell off. Yeah. He just he comes off as a little bit of a spaz in a good way. Yeah, like he's yeah. this engineering genius, but he probably doesn't have great social skills. And you just get the idea that he gets so excited about his work that it doesn't matter. He's the yeah, guy, he doesn't I'm even actually, notice that he doesn't have social skills. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually really looking forward to seeing if they hook, like, if him and Sulu become friends, because that's a uh, relationship I would like to see develop. Yeah, no, it always. Yeah. It always felt like lazy screenwriting to me when they would pair them up because, well, they sit together. But you yeah. never saw any development of their friendship. But, yeah, you're right. If they if they actually spent a little time on it, that'd be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And, and okay, so let's talk about Sulu. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the actor's name. Is it uh, John? John Cho. John Cho, thank you. I just call him Kumar. Uh, except it's Harold. 
or is he Harold? Yeah, uh, Kamar's he's the Harold. Other one. Yeah. Oh well, whatever. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's. Um, he was fantastic. He had uh, mm-hmm. a lot, and and there was mention made of okay, well, he's Korean and George Takei is Japanese, and isn't that a little racist? And Takei said, "You know what? It was just great getting an Asian in here. You're just representing us all. Come on, kid. Just yeah, come on, do it." <laughs> so I'm okay with that. If if Takei doesn't find it offensive, then I, as a white guy, have no grounds. Well, it, it's not like it's not like specifically being Japanese was ever really part of Sulu's character, anyway, right? No, but he is Hikaru Sulu. He's from Japan. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, good point. Well, actually, he's from San Francisco, but well, yeah, okay, but he's from he Japanese stock. There. That's true. You, you valid point. <laughs> I actually didn't realize that uh, what's her name that plays Uhura Zoe. I don't know how to say her last Saldana. name. Saldana. Thank you. Uh, is Dominican. Yeah. Um, our, our friend Pablo uh, pointed that out. That he's he's from the Dominican Republic, and he pointed out we finally got to space or something like that. And that's, <laughs> <laughs> so that's great. Of course, Uhura's backstory in in the original. I don't even think they said this on screen. It was in the books and such. Was that she's from Africa. The country of Africa. That's where she's from. The country of Africa. Yeah. Thanks, Gene. Well, in, in the 2200s, they unified, you know. That's actually, that was actually my, my no prize theory for that one, that there's yep. a United <laughs> States of Africa or something. But, yeah. Uh, After World War III. Yeah. Uh, yeah so, okay. War has a lot to answer for. Yeah, well, that, it certainly solves a lot of continuity problems. <laughs> that's always been my blanket thing for how come technology fell behind. It's because they lost a lot of technology in the war and they had to reinvent it. Mm-hmm. That's why war. They, Makes sense to me. That's why they used, you know, transistors and stuff in, on the original Enterprise, because uh, they lost the technology for more advanced stuff. All right, yeah, going through this chronologically is going to make this a five-hour show, so I suppose we need to start jumping around a bit. <laughs> well, as long as we, I think as long as we hit all of the cat, like, uh, of the cast. Yep. Okay, so, um, let's see who else. Scotty? I mean, films up. Okay. What's up? Go ahead. I was gonna. I was gonna say. I was gonna uh, direct us to Bones. But if you want to go to Scotty, go ahead. Well, Bones. I feel like we need to save for last, just, just okay. because. <laughs> uh, but Scotty, I liked the take on Scotty that he was the equivalent to Kirk. That he's sort of a mad genius and cuts corners and does things that he really shouldn't be doing. But because he's yeah. a genius, most people look the other way. I like that he's sort of the engineering version of Kirk. I never really thought oh, totally. of it that way. But I think it really works here. It also just now has occurs to me that that ice planet is the uh, new version of the hood. Yeah, it's where people toss people. <laughs> <laughs> it's where people toss crew they don't want. And some sad sack living there in an igloo now. It's yeah. so cold. The polar bear went away for a while, but then he came back. <laughs> He was in the bathroom when Spock Prime showed up, and and Scotty and uh, and then Kirk took him away. Yeah. <laughs> Or maybe that explains why the, uh, the the gigantic red thing that jumps out of the ground, uh, the the um, Cloverfield monster that mm-hmm. Matt, as Matt called it, that's why its its howls sound amazingly like dick bats. Yeah, because crazy. they followed Ensign Sad Sack <laughs> to the planet. <laughs> he just has a cloud of dick bats following him around everywhere he goes. <laughs> oh come on, really? He's putting on the twenty third century equivalent of off, but it just doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that. No, I think Simon Pegg was. Originally, it was like it felt like fan service. Like, okay, you got Simon Pegg, great. But looking at it, he he said no disrespect to James Doohan because he was great, and I'm friends with his kid. But I think the Scottish guy should have a real Scottish accent, not a, a crazy cartoon voice. Yes. And so, being from the UK, being able to study it, he said, okay, he's from here. He sounds like this. So that was great. But he's he he also everyone has this weird energy, which I love. Yep. He's got those frantic things where he's just running over to panels and trying to fix something and madly dashing over here. And because he's apparently the only engineer down there at that point. I see. Yeah, I get the, the biggest engineering ever. I get the feeling that he uh, he's the only one who knows how to do things the way he does them. Like until he gets these guys trained in the Scotty way, they're useless. Yeah. <laughs> because they've they've set that up before where he rewires things and just does all kinds of crazy shit to get a little extra power out of it and. People look at the schematics and are like, what are you doing? None of this should work. <laughs> Scotty's like the George Lucas of uh, Chief Engineers. Faster, more intense. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but there's that great bit near the end where everything's just, just getting crazy. And th- he calls down to Scotty and he goes, you bet you ass, Captain! And it's just, it's such a dumb laugh, but it gets me every time. Because it's just so, 
Scotty. <laughs> and again, they took a character that there wasn't much there, and they built on it. And so much of the supporting cast you get five minutes with, maybe yeah. tops. And I feel like they're fully fleshed out characters that I understand and can, and you know, like so much more than the last 30 years. Scotty actually feels like the character who trained, who got the most drastic change from uh, the original series. Yeah, but in a good way. And I'm okay with it. Yeah. But I also can't imagine, you know, Scotty as we knew him in the last movie running around engineering like that. I don't think Scotty it's in the last point. movie ever ran anywhere. Yes, exactly. That much is apparent. And then, let's see, we've talked about Spock, Kirk, Sulu. Uh, Captain Pike was fantastic, just as sort of Kirk's mm-hmm. space daddy. Yeah, and um, using Pike, I always thought was a great was, was another great way of tying it into the original series, like giving him a bigger role. Yeah, absolutely, and and then he ends the story in a wheelchair. <laughs> yep, of course, <laughs> nice. But he didn't have to beep once for yes, which was nice. Yeah, well, the universe transpires to make sure Captain Pike can't walk. Yeah, that's just that that, that is a, uh, a universal truth in all alternate realities. Captain Pike yes. can't walk. <laughs> the universe really does not like Captain Pike's legs at all. No. But at least you can talk. That's good, right? Beep. Damn it. <laughs> oh, so close. <laughs> and and so then that brings us to Bones, who is, once again, different actor, different writing, still the best character there is. Yep. I mean, I, I'm it, speaking it for myself that, uh, here. I don't want to speak for you guys. but It, it seems like Carl Urban no, no, he... figured out immediately. Carl Urban, as best I can tell, is one of the, There's a few guys like this now just seems to know the right nerd projects to do. Yep. <laughs> that horrible vampire movie we saw notwithstanding. But well, otherwise. look, everyone screws up once. Yeah. But, I mean, wasn't he was, like, in Lord of the Rings, right? He's the one that Jesse and Laura, like, fawned over? I believe met- so, yes. yes. Okay. If I'm, if I'm misspeaking, ladies, I apologize. You know I, I'm not very versed on that stuff, but I seem to recall you guys being fans. Um, you know, he plays Boromir, son of Horomir. Come on, Matt. I'm, you're... you're, you're Draining my energy here. <laughs> and all I'm saying is I own a copy of Doom half because I like The Rock in it and half because Marissa likes Carl Urban in it. Well, I know I, – yeah, I was going to say. I know your wife definitely has a, a bit of a crush on him and, you know, rightfully so. Uh, uh, my own wife actually mentioned it's great. Like he's he's attractive. He's charming. But you also get the feeling that De- DeForest Kelly probably was in his in his day – but oh, totally. the first time we meet Bones, he's already like 45. Yep. So when you get to see him young, it's like, wow, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> see, and that's the great thing is all this time Matt and I have been commenting on how badly Star Trek treats its women and how women don't get to do much and, and they're just eye candy. There is more dude eye candy in this movie. Wolf wall. Yeah, I mean, every guy in here appeals to somebody who likes guys like yep there's a hot chick but there's like six hot guys so in a way you know now now the guys are being objectified a little so that doesn't make it right no at least you know (laughs) but it does make it fair at least we're starting in the right direction of fairness yeah exactly when they're uh, towards the end of the movie where they're coming up with their plan on what to do Mm -hmm. it's like they have that great shot where it's the entire cast except for spock because he just did yeah so it's like Hey, here, hey, hey, women, you know, hey, not, you know, hey, everybody, look, here's all these hot guys in this movie. Yep. Uh, and, oh, uh, by the way, uh, here's, here's, a, here's an attractive female for everybody else. <laughs> Which, you know, I mean, there was the green girl. I mean, let's not, let's not yeah, sell her short, was. certainly. And uh, we, we haven't gotten Nurse Chapel yet. She was name-checked, like, in sickbay. We didn't actually see her. Yeah, so if be, she could show up in two, that would be awesome. That'd be great. Although her her whole deal is going to be different. Half her thing was she was pining for Spock, and she can't do that now. Well, yeah. she can, but it won't be the same. The no. whole point was she was pining for Spock, and he was emotionally distant. Now it's just because he's got another chick. <laughs> That's not unless really they really tragic. Wacky, unless yeah. they do the wacky she doesn't know about it thing. Yeah, I think they're. <laughs> and here's the thing overall about the writing. When you realize the guys who wrote this wrote Transformers 2, mm-hmm. say what you will, Andy, like, really I, know you're, I know you're not the not fan of those movies that I am, but... That's right. You gotta admit, the writing in this was substantially better. Oh, by wide, wide than, miles. Than giant <laughs> robot testicles. Giant robot testicles <laughs> I mean, and someone's middle-aged mom's high on pot brownies. Yeah. I'm gonna just chalk that up to, like... 
that what we got for trans the Transformers movie is basically whatever Kurtzman and Orsi turned in. Mm-hmm. Whereas like this went past Damon Lindelof's desk and then went past JJ JJ Abrams' desk and they went whoa, whoa, whoa hang on yeah that that's very possible or it's possible it's the the reverse could be possible too which is the you know the the director like Michael Bay turned that into what he wanted and Abrams turned this into what he wanted you know what I mean like yeah, like true. the screenplay's only it, the it beginning. Could, it, it could have gotten pushed in either direction, and we saw both directions. Exactly. I did, but to me, again, I am not a fan of that movie, but that's not really my point here. My point is these are so different. Like, the tone and the, 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 the quality of the writing is so completely different. To think that this writing team was responsible for both of those movies is just strange to me. And that's initially what put me off personally, because I don't like Transformers 2, was <laughs> saying, oh, God, those guys are writing it? Great. <laughs> And now it's like realizing that they've got their fingers in fifty sinister pies is like <laughs> okay they know what they're they know what they're doing. I well, guess I know they used to. I know they wrote for Alias the first few. I'm sorry, the only good no the good seasons of the show mm-hmm. because it ended and at some point and I never think, went on past that. I think that, <laughs> like me with West Wing in season four. Um, no, I think they're involved with Fringe, maybe. I don't know. I'm, I don't have I, the information in front of me. Sound, but, I, I think that that sounds right, yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't impressed but, with that show, but a lot of people seem to like it. So, But for me, like 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 the Transformers movies, while I do enjoy them and I'm not running away from that, um, that's more of an outlier, like plot and, and writing-wise for yeah. them. For well, and, the, and the thing is, I really thought, like, this movie looks like it should just be a dumb action movie because it is just action set piece to action set piece, like orbital skydiving. And space battles and sword fights and you know it just it doesn't seem like the kind of movie that would have the the brain and the heart behind it that it does and that's I think what it does best is while it simultaneously takes the best of modern action movies it also remembers what Star Trek is and is supposed to be and it stays true to that and that's mm-hmm. why it's such a great movie mm-hmm. because it's not. I've heard people say, oh, well, okay, yeah, that was a great action movie, but when are they going to explore Strange New Worlds and do ponderous stuff? You know what? The movies have never been about that. The movies have always been big action pieces. They have to be because you don't have the... the yeah, you, you don't have the, the, the luxury of a TV show where you can slow down and explore everyone's character. So they did a really good job of doing that, despite the fact that they had to keep you interested with shiny objects as a movie. Yeah, and also, like, a slow, like, political exploration movie would not have gotten the amount of people in that this did. No. Like, they're trying to reboot a franchise here. They need to be able to get everyone interested. And that's another thing. They rebooted. I don't think that's ever worked for me until now. This no. is the first time where it's like, okay, they took what was good about it, what, what, what we know about it, and turned it into something new and better. I'd never mm-hmm. seen it done well before now. So that's something. All right, unfortunately, we're going to have to start wrapping this up. There is so much more to talk about, and we have missed so many things. So any final points yeah. before we go to the uh, to the wrap-up here, guys? Uh, no. Anything you feel like we absolutely have to hit on no matter what? Like, we can't do a podcast about this show and not mention. Oh, um, we haven't talked about Nimoy at all. And okay. we probably should at least touch on that. Um, I always felt like getting him into this was, like... Well, I hate to bring up the passing the torch thing again, yeah. but like, well, especially since he's literally it, holding a torch in in one scene of the movie. <laughs> exactly. But like, I really feel like doing that was important because, like, you are de- uh, you're definitely not the only person who was worried about the re the, yeah. about. Oh, we all were. I just and, like I just held oh, my totally. ground longer than everyone else. Yeah. Like but these I are characters it, who have been around forever, who are completely iconic and casting them as new with new actors is a big thing yeah and getting i think getting spock who is arguably the face of yes like classic star trek the, arguably the face of all star trek yes when you say absolutely. star trek the picture that comes to your mind more often than not is probably spock or the enterprise itself yeah um i i think getting him in to do that was extremely important and now we never need to see him ever again yeah no they they did a great send off they did a great payoff to his basic emotional arc over time and yeah perfect and and honestly it's it's uh they got lucky that they were able to do it too because without like the decades of 
plotting Spock's arc, arc out where he becomes this uh, great political ambassador after he retires from Starfleet, mm-hmm. it, there's no point of his character doing what he does in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, there was a there was apparently a deleted scene. Well, not deleted. They never filmed it. Shatner went on and on about how I should be in this movie, too. They actually wrote a nice little thing for him, and mm-hmm. he didn't want to do it. So, fuck him. All right. Andy, any <laughs> final thoughts before we uh, go into our quotes and such? Um, we could go on for hours and hours and hours. So in, yeah. in, uh, out of respect for the audience, uh, I think we should, uh, wrap it up here. Oh, I don't, I don't give a fuck about the audience. You've got to go to work. <laughs> that too. <laughs> no, listen, I, I don't mean that the way it sounded. I, I, I think people come here to listen to us be enthusiastic about Star Trek and there is no single focal point that we're going to be more enthusiastic about than this movie. No. I think if people sure. looked at on iTunes and saw that this episode was three hours, they would understand. Yeah. No, this That's movie is problem. the reason we are doing a podcast. It's the re- I mean, we, Matt and I knew we were both into Star Trek when we met and we talk about it occasionally. But it's like, yeah, that was a great thing that used to exist. Mm-hmm. But this got us excited about it again. Yeah. And that is its greatest legacy, I think. The fact that those of us who were into this stuff were like, well, that's over. And it doesn't feel like that anymore. It feels like no, it's back. And that's not easy to young. do. <laughs> nice. Okay. Uh, alternate titles. Uh, Andy? Uh, I went with... Um, hang on one moment while I figure out where to read off to. Here we go. Uh, I went with the uh, the slightly ridiculous but extreme makeover Star Trek edition. <laughs> I think that works. Uh, and you guys obviously know mine. It's fake Star Trek. Yeah, to my eternal. And shame. I went with, and I went with real Star Trek because that's how we used to piss Al off. <laughs> or as uh, Scott Zioko occasionally calls it, best Star Trek. Which yes, that was the other one. While while I appreciate that as a as a technique of of uh, poking at me, that's not my issue. I think you lose the joke if you call it that. The whole point of yeah. calling it fake is you know. The fact that I was wrong. Once you call, well, if I if I started calling it best Star Trek, that you you lose, you know, you lose me continuing no, just, to shame myself. Yes, no, you just think of it as best Star Trek. <laughs> I do, I absolutely do, actually. And I've I've been trying not to use that fake thing until I explained to the audience what it meant. Um, mm. And that's so I've just been referring to it as Star Trek 2009. That you know, it needs a better title than Star Trek. That's confusing. Yeah, but again, we get back to the whole we're starting over. We need to. Yeah, I know. Like I feel like doing that again was very was very important. Just like no, this is Star Trek now. This is not Star Trek a new beginning. This is not Star yeah. Trek twelve or, or what Star was Trek 11. Zero. This is, this is Star Trek now. Also okay? for the motherfucker for the for the final time. I've already brought this up before, but this is Star Trek Eleven. You can shove your odd number rule up your ass. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, you got a quote for us, Andy? Uh, yes, uh, I went with one. It's uh, it's probably not even close to the best quote in the movie, but I think it's a nice explanation uh, of it's a subtle underlying current of Jim Kirk doesn't believe in a no win scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's even when even before he's presented with opportunities in Starfleet, he actually uh, manages to round one up for himself by inviting a bigger fight. This townie isn't bothering you, right? Oh, beyond belief. But it's nothing I can't handle. You could handle me. That's an invitation. Hey, you better mind your manners. Relax, cupcake. It was a joke. Hey, farm boy, maybe you can't count. But there are four of us and one of you. So get some more guys and then it'll be an even fight. Yeah, that whole bar scene is is just lovely. Yeah, that's actually a good point. I never noticed that before. Yeah. Yeah, It it jumped out at me, so I thought I had to include it. And also in his continuing effort to hook up with Uhura. Yeah. yeah. Because Again, his, I don't believe in the no-win scenario. We're going his, to have sex. In his mind, he <laughs> believes if, if that guy goes back and gets more guys and he beats all ten of them, yep. he thinks Uhura will say, my hero, and go home with him when that's never yep. going to happen, dude. <laughs> all right. Matt, what do you got? I went with, uh, again, I was really spoilt for choice on this, oh, and I was God. really close to doing... Uh, Spock at the uh, telling the Vulcan Academy to go fuck themselves, yeah. but I eventually went with the hilarious uh, this one. I'm Captain Christopher Pike. To whom am I speaking? Hi, Christopher. I'm Nero. Yeah, I don't. I don't even know what like where they where they were coming from production wise. 
It's like, such why, a weird read. I don't know if it was if he was directed to do that. I get the feeling it was probably uh, what's his name, uh, Eric Bana, just doing an alternate take, and Abrams say, "Okay, that's hilarious. I'm using that." Yeah. You know how actors do a straight take three or four times, and then they'll do a joke take or an alternate line or something. I think that's that's the impression I get. Mm. Uh, and mine is uh, yeah. once again, Bones is the best character ever, and this is his very first appearance. Uh, and he says this to Kirk in their in their initial meeting. Don't pander to me, kid. One tiny crack in the hull and our blood boils in 13 seconds. Soul flare might crop up, cook us in our seats. And wait till you're sitting pretty with a case of Andorian shingles. See if you're still so relaxed when your eyeballs are bleeding. Space is disease and danger wrapped in darkness and silence. Well, I hate to break this to you, but Starfleet operates in space. And that just completely sums up everything we love about him, so... Cynical, oh, but lovable. <laughs> it just occurred to me, we didn't talk about Nero at all. No. I think that's sort of a testament to... Well, they kind of make sense. We, 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 we were talking about that briefly when we were watching it. He, he's there, but he's really not. No, he's there to move the plot no. along, but he, there's really not much character there. No. And that's not even a bad thing. There's Like I was saying, there's so much character development for all the guys who were important you know, to the ship finally fleshed out. I just don't think there was room for him. And yeah, they probably and I, decided... I feel like... Oh, go ahead. Like, we have such a... We have a big cast already with, yeah. like, all, all of these guys we need to introduce, plus Pike, right. plus Spock Prime. Spending a lot of time with a villain is, like, the last thing we need to do. No, give him, give him motivation and let him go. Like, that's really all you mm-hmm. need. But I think, you know, I would much rather spend five minutes learning more about Sulu or God Help Me Chekhov than... Um, yeah. <laughs> Then you know, then a villain who's going to fall in a black hole at the end, anyway. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there's that. All right, gentlemen. Well, I appreciate this. Like I say, I wish we could have spent more time because we have a ton to say about this, but uh, we all have time constraints. And uh, Andy's got to go to work. I got to go move to a place where there aren't screaming children. And mm-hmm. Matt's got to do whatever he does. So <laughs> from us, that is it. This is all with the Kirk and crew people. Uh, Matt, take us out. See you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2011. Please don't sue us, we're just doing this for fun.